We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports journalism. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is tended as legal advice, as all the information is for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Dustin Steiner. Dustin is a veteran esports reporter at Inven Global, Hotspawn, and Esports Talk. Dustin has been involved in esports for almost a decade. He had his work featured on a variety of top esports publications, including Decetero, Unicorn News, PBP Live, Hotspawn, and Event Global. He was also a finalist for the 2019 Esports Award for Journalist of the Year. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. So, you know, to kind of introduce the topic a little bit more, you know, esports journalism and press. Similar to other areas of interest, esports and competitive gaming has its own dedicated outlets. You know, many are independently created ones, such as some of the ones that you know, Dustin works for, as well as some part of larger entertainment entities, you know, such as ESPN and the Washington Post. Some are really game specific. They only cover one game like CSGO or Overwatch. And some kind of cover everything related to the esports space. And generally, these websites publish a lot of different stuff, whether it's competition recaps and previews, news stories, who's added, who's dropped, and really kind of giving their opinions on the state of the industry and how they think things are going to play out. So now we know a little bit more about the subject. Dustin, tell us a little about your previous esports experience. 
Well, uh, you covered it pretty well. Um, I've been in the space for about 10 years now. Um, it's been been quite a ride. Um, I started out as a freelance journalist um, for uh, GameZone Online uh, back in 2011. And uh, I uh, freelanced there for about two years while I was working retail. Um, did that to build up my portfolio. And then from there, it was... Uh, just a matter of being connected with the right people to kind of go full time in this space. Um, you know, it's been um, interesting uh, being in the space the last decade, watching it kind of blow up from uh, what it was through Twitch's launch to to now, where you know you have things like LCS being broadcast on TV. Um, you know, I have uh, I've interviewed a lot of top players in the space. I've uh, talk to team owners, players, uh, people running community events, um, you know, big tournament organizers, developers, uh, you name it. I've pretty much talked to them in the space. Um, obviously, uh, I still have, I, th I still think I have a long way to go uh, to get to where I want to be in my career, but it's been fun so far and I can't wait to see where it takes me. So how did you originally get involved in the scene? What brought you over to it? Uh, well, um, <laughs> originally, uh, a friend of mine actually introduced me to StarCraft II esports um, through uh, back. This is way even before Twitch, uh, back when things were kind of just recorded in VODs and uh, broadcast on YouTube, um, or not even VODs, but just like you know pre-recorded tournaments. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the one the one that I was introduced to was the. Uh, Husky and HD StarCraft Invitational. And um, from there, it was just a, it was a matter of discovering GSL and sort of just wanting to get involved uh, in some way. Um, I worked with that same friend to uh, run local tournaments in South Florida for a while. It was about a year and a half of doing that. Um, eventually, we decided that uh, it wasn't cost effective for us to really do that anymore and uh i still wanted to be involved in esports so i ended up reaching out to uh my friend uh, mike splecta who's the editor over at games on online and has been for a number of years um and i just i knew evo was coming up and i was just like hey like do you want esports coverage and we worked out a deal where I wasn't really making a whole lot of money doing it, but I was able to publish. I was able to just talk about esports, talk about what I what I liked about the scene, what I wish would change, uh, just recaps, who won what, that sort of stuff. That's just kind of where I uh, learned the basics. Um, obviously, I don't think I learned everything I needed to know when I was first, first starting out, and I made a lot of mistakes, but uh, it's um, it was definitely trial by fire. Uh, but, uh, you know, so that, yeah, that was kind of how I got started. I mean, yeah, that's how you have to do it. You know, they say try and you learn, and that's what practice is for. And, you know, that's kind of the only way you can really do it is by getting out there and seeing what works and just trying, you know, for better or worse. So what are you kind of working on now? I know I mentioned a few of the publications. So now um, I just started full-time at uh, Esports Talk. So um, basically uh, I was freelance for a little while. I was working for Hotspawn and Invent Global. 
and now I'm back in the uh, in the in the saddle, so to speak, uh, full time doing um, news coverage, opinion pieces. Um, I'm going to be doing some on camera work for esports talk, and maybe some podcasting myself. Um, but yeah, so I'm bas- I'm under their banner now, basically, and just kind of bringing uh, all my experience to bear. I mean, they're still a small team, and I really want to. I think they have a lot of potential. Um, our YouTube channel just passed uh, 100,000 subscribers over the weekend, so um, it should be. I think it it has potential to uh, be up there with the big dogs for sure. Well, yeah, you know, shout out to Esports Talk. They're on our prediction network, so we're happy to see them bringing in a an industry veteran to say the least. So, you know, what's your day to day like, you know, I know you said a lot of it's freelance. So how does that go? Well, it was freelance. Uh, now I'm full time, but, um, my day to day, like it really hasn't changed all that much since I was freelance. My day to day is still very much, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning, I get ready for my day. Um, and then I, you know, just kind of sit down and start browsing news. Um, see what people are talking about, kind of try and get my finger on the pulse, see what I've missed in the last, well, I don't know, 10 or 11 hours that I decide to give myself off every day. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just kind of browsing Reddit, browsing Twitter, uh, talking to folks, seeing what, um, kind of like what the word is. Um, okay, like what the word on the street is, you're running the beat, as they say. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and hitting up developers and emailing folks for comment on stuff and uh, interview requests and all that sort of all that sort of deal. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, I know you mentioned you've been in the industry for a while. So do you see any differences interacting with, you know, professionals in one game over another, you know, a CSGO pro over an Overwatch one? Um. I think the biggest difference is just access. Um, dealing with the pros themselves, like I don't really see that much of a difference in attitude so much. Like once you get them, like in a scenario where you can talk to them, um, but I think just getting access to various players uh, is different from scene to scene. Like for example, if you're talking to an Overwatch player, it's very structured, right? So um, at least back in season one and two of overwatch league you know you would go to blizzard arena and uh you would tell the pr rep that was in the press room who you wanted to talk to and they would coordinate with the team and get the player after the match and that sort of thing um now it's changed a little bit obviously with season three and the coronavirus pandemic it's a completely different game um you know you you have to talk to you know pr reps and stuff so it's a little bit more i would say traditional esports now where it's just like you know, you're trying to catch people when you can, uh, but uh, definitely the the ones that are set up for leagues and when things are normal, it's very much like a structured thing versus, uh, say, a CSGO pro. Uh, you have to talk to managers and things like that at events to get access to players, um, you know, or even fighting game events. Fighting game events are very open. Everybody's just sort of milling around. So it's very much you just see someone, you go, hey, man, can I can I talk to you? and then just sort of work out what their schedule is and uh, go from there. Obviously, it helps to email ahead for that sort of stuff, but, uh, you know, you also have some luck just sort of wandering about and seeing if you can find the people you want to talk to, those sort of events. 
There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline. NASCAR is back, and BetOnline has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get it on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls' Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. So what kind of hurdles have you been encountering trying to interview some of these gamers? Um... Well, I mean, some, well, let's, I, I've, I've encountered quite a few hurdles, actually. Um, especially when I was working for uh, Unicorn News, I had a lot of hurdles in um, that Unicorn is a gambling outlet. So uh, some teams were very, like, resistant to talking to, to me because of that. Um, you know, they just don't want to be associated with gambling and all that kind of stuff, or they have previous gambling sponsors, uh, you know, like Betway and all those sorts of mm-hmm. like conflicts there. So they just didn't want to talk to Unicorn because it could be con- see, considered like a uh, a conflict of interest for them. But, uh, you know, as far as other hurdles, um, a lot of it is just down to timing, really. Uh, you know, if, for example, a player I want to talk to is just swamped with matches and they, they don't want to talk to press or like they just lost. They don't want to talk to press. Um, even if they, they just won and they want to go eat, they, you know, they have their own, their own stuff going on. So I, I think scheduling is probably the biggest hurdle. Um, some events don't really give you really great access to players. Like for example, DreamHack is really notorious for, not really having PR reps around to help you, especially like for games like Counter-Strike. So you just sort of have to uh, deal with the managers and stuff that are in the crowd. And sometimes and just try to grab the players when you can. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, but they're very much not like focused on that when they're at those sorts of events, they're just working their schedule. And if you happen to be able to grab one, you're, you're kind of lucky. Um, but, you know, other than that, it's, it's just sort of, you know, just the usual, just scheduling stuff, um, you know, and dealing with people that sometimes don't check their email or won't respond to your DM or, or whatever. It's it's the, the usual stuff for sure. Okay. So, you know, I think something that you know, you're highlighting and some other people I've talked to in the scene, like, isn't the point of having press and people covering it to get the exposure and to get the insight and to create this kind of hyper media world that entertainment and sports and music have like doesn't isn't there a part especially on the developer and the team to want to encourage you know their players whether they win or lose to be a part of this to give you a comment to add that added element that you know anyone can say who scored what and what the final score was and how many kills you had and you know all that stuff but we want to know what the player thought. If there was a certain play that he couldn't believe happened or, you know, a certain strategy they were using that worked or, you know, like that's what's interesting to the fan. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, in an ideal world, that should be what happens. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, a, a lot of players, um, especially for teams that just don't seem to care, like they don't have media training. So they don't really, they don't really understand that, like, you know, like you said, we're here to tell our story. 
um we're here to hype them up for the fan right like you know not everyone if they're at tournaments all the time they can't stream so like the only way they're going to really be able to interact with their fans aside from just social media is like through things like interviews. That's how fans are going to get to know them and kind of see what makes them tick uh, and see how they handle pressure and like what their thoughts are on situations. You don't get that necessarily in, in the stream post game interviews because they can be kind of, you know, uh, either standoffish about very coy and reserved yeah, yeah coy and reserved standoffish about like why they did certain things or whatever when they're when they have a camera in front of them but when you're just sitting there with a microphone like they might tell you something different um or they might you know be a little bit more candid because they don't feel like they're being as scrutinized as when they're on the stream in front of three hundred thousand people so you know i, I think that like it's very important that players and teams sort of like realize the importance of press. Like it's gotten a lot better over the years for sure. Like a lot of teams have started doing media training and started telling players like, look, you have to talk to press. Like it's just players don't, they don't like to do it because they themselves don't see the immediate value. Like there's no dollar amount attached to it. There's no like, and it's not in their contract to say like, Oh, hmm. um, you know, I have to do X number of media appearances. Like, I wish it was built in that way, like it is in traditional sports, where, like, contractually, they have to talk to press after games, um, you know, and things like uh, press conferences and stuff like that were standardized, but they're not. It's very much hit or miss, depending on the tournament organizer and, uh, Sometimes they can be like teams can just outright refuse to show up to a press conference for certain tournament organizers without penalty. Uh, some organizers have penalties for things like that, so they'll send someone. Um, and yeah, it's it's. I just wish that there was some sort of like standard across the board that like PR professionals from teams and tournament organizers and the media could get together and like really hammer something out to where it's you're going into an event you're going to cover it here's how it works you know um obviously for more open events like fighting game tournaments that might not necessarily work but even for stuff like you know top eights at fighting game events that would be immensely helpful if they were able to do something like that but again that seems just sort of uh wild west in terms of uh tos in general anyway um so yeah that's that's generally what i would like to see uh kind of change in that regard yeah i mean i think that it's a very valid point and you know realistically if you want to get hundreds of thousands of people interested in you know what makes you unique and what draws people in you're going to need to work on this do you see like you know the franchise leagues kind of trying to implement these things where like teams have to appear if they win or is it still very much like depends on what the team wants to do it's a mixture um i think that the franchise leagues are very good at requiring that something happens um in terms of like media appearances it, whether you get the request that you want is very subjective in terms of what they want to offer up but um you know I, I think that uh riot and blizzard tend to do a decent job of uh 
you know, offering press access to certain to events and players and uh, talent and stuff like that. Um, you know, tournament organizers that that could probably use work on it are like the more open ones, like um, you know, like I said, the Dream Hacks, the uh, the ESL events, that sort of thing. Like they offer press access. Sure, there's a press room somewhere in the venue, but it's not like ideal circumstances and there's not PR people like standing by at each of their games. For example, I know DreamHack runs a lot of games and that's probably not ideal for them to have a PR person standing by at every single like event area, but they should, um, you know, especially for the turn, the, uh, organizers that are running things like CSGO where valve is very hands off. um, you know, I know that the DreamHack tends to rely on their um, developer PR contacts to do that sort of thing, but it doesn't necessarily always happen, um, which, you know, it's unfortunate. I think that um, there's there's events that definitely could use more exposure in that way. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it in, like, sports media, there are just some iconic moments that don't even happen on the court, like the after effect, you know, the person in the locker room leaving, like, crying, expressing joy, like, thinking of Chris Webber on, like, the sideline. Like, that's not the game. That's on the sideline coverage, reporters there with the camera, and you cover the pure emotion and joy and, you know, the angst and defeat. And as a fan, that's that's what moves you when you see how passionate these professionals are and how it just impacts them to the core. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and th- that's something I, w- I really wish that would be implemented in esports because like locker room access, like in sports with the equivalent of that in esports, big green room access. And like, it's just unheard of. You don't get it in in esports very rarely. Why do you think that is? Are they trying to like coddle the players because they're just not it's... ready? I don't know if they're necessarily trying to coddle the players, but I I do think it's a like players don't want to be bothered kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's very much a little short sighted. Yeah, I agree. But like, it's an amazing clip of you going viral, like so ecstatic that you just won it. Like, that's the thing that could put you from, you know, a B level, whatever, to like a person that's known within the industry, within, you know, esports in general. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's uh, like I said, the players just they just kind of want to be left alone most of the time. <laughs> and I, I feel like tournament organizers are kind of afraid to to do things like that just simply because they don't want they don't want to upset the teams and the players too much. And maybe that'll change eventually. But I think we're we've got a ways to go before anything like that happens. Um and it would definitely come down to things like, um, you know, there would have to be actual media, organ- like organized media, like unions and stuff like that for esports. There just it just doesn't exist yet um, that can negotiate these things with leagues. It, it doesn't exist. And uh, with the way the media landscape is in esports, the way it's so hyper competitive for uh, clicks and attention and, uh, everything else you don't see a lot of cooperation between outlets so you know there's not really a lot of incentive for things like that um even among journalists there's not like a ton of cooperation so like i think something like a, a union like it just seems it seems like a pipe dream to me right now 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely see how, you know, there's just no stability. It's not like you have Washington Post, Chicago Tribune. Like, you have these institutions that have existed for, you know, decades. It's most of this thing is under a decade, if that, if you're lucky. Yeah, exactly. Like, a lot of these organizations have only been founded in the last five years. I mean, if you look at the turnover, if you look at the, the organizations that have actually been around throughout the time that I've been in esports, even, like, God, so many of the even the ones that I've worked for, some of them are defunct now. Like PvP Labs no longer around. Uh Esports Max, where I started full time, that's no longer around. Um, you know, it's just PvP, so many right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like they're just just not they just don't exist anymore. So like, you know, the turnover is so high that it's just it's kinda hard for organizations that aren't backed by like big media conglomerates to do things like that. And I don't think that there's necessarily enough full-time esports writers in the space right now that have that sort of bargaining power mm-hmm. to to do that. And I don't think the people that run these websites necessarily want that anyway. Like, you know, you, you can't tell me that the guys who run somewhere like Dixerto want their writers unionized and able to uh uh negotiate because that negotiation goes two ways it goes to the leagues and it goes to the outlets and i think that a lot of uh esports writers right now are kind of under um i don't want to say underpaid but sort of undervalued and in the way that like they're um what they contribute to these outlets uh you know the, a lot of the the attitudes towards them is sort of like you're expendable everybody wants to write about esports so uh you better do your job and like it or or else so it's not conducive I mean, to yeah anything. that's how a lot of this entertainment world is you know, music sports fashion it's like everybody wants to work at a record label so you should just be happy that you're here exactly yeah so it's the, very much that uh, and like you said, it's any passion-driven industry where it's like, you know. Yeah, it's, it's like it's guys that work for job. sports agents, and it's like they're representing like top-flight first-round picks, and it's like, yeah, you're, you're flying across the country to hold their Sharpie. Like, that's what your job is. Exactly. So, you know, shifting focus a little bit. So how do you kind of handle when, like, you know, a player or someone else kind of, you know, criticizes an article or something that you, you know, kind of put out there? Well, I mean, I guess it depends, right? Like, if they have a point, um, you know, obviously I just address the feedback with them, either on I respond on social media if they've blasted me publicly or hmm. uh, or through DM if they've just DM'd me. Uh, if there's, like, a factual error in there, obviously I get it corrected as quickly as I can. Um, but if it's just, like, an opinion they don't agree with, I, I mean, that's – it's uh, opinions are subjective, you know? Like, if I, if I don't – like how that player played and they have an issue take issue with how how that article makes them look i'm like okay cool like tell me about it like give me a quote or do better yeah or do better right like play better do better you know you're not gonna always get positive press if you're not playing well that's just the way it is um but uh you know if something like again if something's like mischaracterized or 
something like that uh, or taken out of context or something, anything like that. It's usually just a matter of talking to the player and be like, okay, well, what did you mean? Like, let's talk about it. Let's, you know, get the record straight, that sort of deal. Okay. So, so what's your favorite part of the job? What's something that you just love about it? Um, I think I really like going to events. Um, it's, uh, you know, just being in the crowd and like experiencing really hype moments. Uh, there's not really much like it. Uh, even going to sporting events, I don't, I don't get the same feeling going to a, going to a sports game that I do in esports. Like it's because in sports games, you've got people just on their phones, not really paying attention to the game. You know, even in really high moments, they're just like, you know, having uh, unrelated conversations and all that kind of thing. But like at an esports event, like I feel like everybody's attention's on the game. Everyone's really passionate about what's happening, and you just don't get that kind of energy anywhere else. Um, you know, and the 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 day to day of the job too is very very enjoyable to me. I I don't I don't think like there's a career out there I'd rather be doing right now for sure. Awesome. So you know, what's the future of esports press? Where does it go from here? Um, I don't really know. Uh, we're we're sort of in a weird spot where like both uh where video is doing really well and but so is so is text art so are text articles i think that um obviously uh like hardcore esports coverage is still sort of like in this weird developing spot where like it's sometimes doing really well viewership wise and sometimes not but you know uh cover general coverage about the games that are played in esports and the culture around it like that's like that is booming uh things like google is driving a lot of traffic to to websites that are covering these sorts of things so i i do think that uh there's an avenue for these sorts of uh uh things to keep growing and um you know it, it's going to be interesting to see what outlets are able to last in this sort of weird economic state we're in right now. But uh, but we'll uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I think the digital media is probably one of the few industries that's uh, I don't want to say unaffected, but um, probably set to come out of the other side of this uh, this downturn at least. You know, looking uh somewhat healthy uh, i know that um you know a lot of events and stuff are are suffering like layoffs and whatnot right now but uh fortunately um we're kind of still able to operate business as usual from home which is good so we'll uh i don't know we'll um we'll see what happens it's it's going to be an interesting couple of years after this for sure interesting yeah so i mean so i like to kind of end every episode with my three questions so, you know, what's your favorite game to watch? Um, God, you're going to put me under the gun here. Uh, oh, yes. I, I think um, most fighting games, I think, are, are probably my, my favorite things to watch. Um, Smash in particular, I really like watching Smash, like Melee and, uh, and Ultimate both. Um, and Street Fighter, it's, I've always been a big Street Fighter head, too. Um, but, you know, aside from that, like, as far as major esports games go, I really like watching CSGO. Uh, there's not really um, much like it in terms of, like, clutch moments and stuff like that. Interested to see where Valorant goes as well. Nice. So, you know, what's your favorite game to play? Um, Smash again, I think, uh, in terms of esports. Um, yeah, it's just, 
I don't know. I'm able to. I'm relatively decent at it, so it it doesn't. Um, I don't know. It's just one. It's one of the games that I can actually play at a like mediocre level. Whereas you know, you you get me to sit me down and play league or something, and you know, I'm struggling to get out of bronze. So it, it's a uh, it's a little different. <laughs> okay, so you can you can hold your own in Smash. That's right. Yeah, I, I just uh, I'm a little bit too competitive to like take the other games super seriously when I play them because like uh, I'm not very good and I lose and that makes me mad so <laughs> I uh, I, I definitely tend to play the games where I at least have a shot of winning um, so you know one last one so you know who's your fi- favorite video game character you know Mario, Luigi, Pikachu um favorite character Probably Dante from uh, Devil May Cry. Okay, cool. So, you know, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us where everyone can find you. Uh, hey, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at GetSteinerd. Um, and uh, you can check out my writing on uh, the various websites that I've written for, but uh, my portfolio is at SteinerEsports.com. Awesome. So, you know, everyone, thanks again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J-E-S-Q, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.